Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wine, Women, and Words. I'm Michelle, and with me, of course, is Diana. Hello. And this evening is the last Thursday of the month, so that means that we have our author of the month on with us, which is Jennifer Lamb. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I am happy to be here. Thanks for having me, and I'm super excited to chat. So you, the book that we read this month was The Lost Season of Love and Snow, which I finished. I don't know if you saw the post I made this morning of multitasking. I, I loved it. And it was very popular, and that made me so happy to see it this morning. <laughs> like, this is exactly what I'm going for. It's like, just, it's like entertaining, and you have to brush your teeth and read at the same time. Life lesson complete, complete. <laughs> I've already started wine so you guys got to be that was, that was really awesome thank you well no problem because you you know you always reach that point in a book I mean even if you know the book sucks you in at the beginning but you reach the point where it's like oh my god what happens next and I was trying to get ready to to go out with the kids and I had maybe like maybe like a hundred pages left. And it was like, right when everything was just starting to fall apart. Okay. <laughs> and, and it was like, okay, let's change your diaper. And I'm going to read 10 more pages. And <laughs> Where are your socks? Okay. You can put your socks on. Let's, let's read uh, some more. <laughs> that is so cool. I was going to ask like what the point was when you consider it unput downable. And I think I'm, I'm very happy with that response. And I think that's similar for me when I'm reading books, but like you said, there's a point there, you know, you're enjoying, you're enjoying, you're enjoying, but there is a point where you don't want to leave. And um, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we have a ton of questions and usually before, before the show, Diane and I kind of trade notes. So we know what, what we're going off of and completely realize that I have my list here. <laughs> But I did not type it up and send it to Diana. And I texted her and I said, "Well, I'm pretty sure we have enough, like, enough notes individually, because yeah. Diana wants to bring up uh, current events that we can talk about in historical fiction." Great. <laughs> well, with um, I think we can just dive into that here. Um, so this week, the court case. Well, we'll go back a little further than this week. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, there was a television show called Feud, not Family Feud, as, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was Feud, it was between, it was about, uh, real rivalries, and it was between, um, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, and it was starring Susan Sarandon and, um, I forget the other actress's name. Yeah, I'm totally blanking now. Yeah, um, but it was, it was a Yes, and it was a really good series. However, um, apparently, you know, as happens with some more of the more recent historical fiction, uh, mm -hmm. some of the characters that are portrayed on there are still alive. Uh, case in point, Olivia de Holland, or yes. I'm sorry, Hobbeland. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was played by Catherine Zeta-Jones' character, and she was still alive, and she saw, well, in some cases, she said she saw the series. In other cases, other um, interviews and stuff, she said she did not see the series. So she kept going back and forth. Oh, okay. I thought she had seen it, but okay. Yeah, um, I think final word is that she saw it. 
Okay. Um, or at least maybe like the relevant portrayal in the series. Mm-hmm. Specifically, she had problems with the language that they used. Yes. And she also had problems with the fact that they claimed that she was gossiping. That um, she was what? I'm sorry. She was gossiping. That was one of Oh, right, her. right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So she filed suit here in uh, California. She lives in Paris now. 101-year-old lady, so I'm going to try my best to be respectful. Um, she's, <laughs> you know I'm going to defend her, so it's okay. <laughs> I may not agree, but I will defend. <laughs> I, I, and I'm not going to defend her at all. Um, so you could be the respectful one out of the two of us. And Michelle's okay. a play referee. <laughs> <laughs> so she filed suit and made it through the first round of court cases and then went up to appeal and it lost an appeal. Now, for those of you who aren't too familiar with uh, lawsuits and the way they work, um, the defense has the right to continue to appeal a decision all the way up to the Supreme Court. But, and then, but the plaintiffs don't get to appeal again. So now that the defense has won, case is over, dismissed. They can't bring it back. And so she's lost the case. And it came up this week in the Historical Novel Society. Yeah. Somebody posted about it, and people were upset. Um, they were really rooting for her. And um, they claimed that with this court case, people were now given the license to rewrite history. And I was blowing my gasket, as Michelle saw from text from me. <laughs> I was getting screenshots of, like, the whole thread going, okay, that one was first, and then that was in reply to that one. <laughs> I love the passion behind that. That's awesome. <laughs> well, this is when the, the, the legal side of my life and the artist side of my life merged together. Um, because, in my opinion is in general, when it comes to historical fiction, of any historical fiction, it's a version of rewriting history. And you cannot, um, if for a historical fiction author to be upset about something rewriting history or people rewriting history, you're in the wrong business, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Because, I mean, looking at um, Lost Season of Love and Snow with Natalia, <laughs> Um, we're, we're writing, you're writing her back into the historical record. You're making people look at her in a different way and you're putting words in her mouth that may not necessarily have been there. So, I right. mean, you know, this is part of historical fiction. Yes. And so this is a tricky one for me because as I kind of had indicated, um, I have a lot of sympathy for Olivia de Havilland in the case. And let me explain my reasons for it before I explain why I don't think she was in the right. And I'm glad that the case went down the way it did. Um, but I, so are, I don't know if we're allowed to say this word, but you know, she was upset that she had, she had been, tell me if I'm wrong, because I haven't actually seen the series, um, but I, I have some familiarity with this because I was obsessed with old Hollywood when I was mm -hmm. little. So when Olivia de Havilland to me is Maid Marian in Errol Flynn's Robin mm -hmm. Hood. So of course I'm going to have a soft spot for her. And she um, was in Gone with the Wind as well. Correct, right. Yeah. She was uh, she, Melanie. classic Hollywood. Yes, yes. And yes. And I did enjoy all reading, because I do like gossip, um, I did 
enjoy reading about her rivalry with her sister, Joan Fontaine. And if I remember right, it was that Joan Joan Fontaine had won the Oscar before Olivia de Havilland. And oh, that was, you know, that really fueled the fire between the two of them. And I thought it was a very interesting feud in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, but if I'm understanding this right, so Olivia de Havilland was particularly upset that she had been depicted as calling her sister the B word, right? Mm -hmm. And to me, it's like, I, I use that word all the time um, to apply to myself when I'm trying to like get myself ready in the morning. Um, <laughs> and by the way, by the way to friends. On the podcast, just to let you know, yeah. it's okay. I'm funding <laughs> college fund, it's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I was pretty sure it was, but just like in the spirit of what I'm about to say, um, it, it may make more sense. Um, but I'm also remembering back to, and I think about my parents who are not as old as Olivia de Havilland, but are certainly not young. Um, and they're really, really offended by vulgarity in a way that was always just um, really foreign to me. Like I didn't understand it at all. Um, but after, like, I, okay, this is kind of going into my day job, but after attending a class where we study different, um, different generations and what appeals to different generations and what really offends different generations, so you have a better idea for when you're working together, um, for her generation, vulgarity was just, it's just really, really offensive mm -hmm. in a way that maybe I personally can't wrap my head around. Um, but I also think about there's there's just this throwaway line. Um, I can't remember which Avengers movie it is, but um, somebody says a oh, Iron uh, Man or someone says a bad word. Yeah, Civil War. Civil War. Exactly what <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Civil War. I know exactly which one you're talking about. For those of you who are listening and watching, um, Jennifer and I are nerd sisters. We oh, almost yes. everything the same. Um, I think the only thing we vary on is uh, Game of Thrones, and that's okay because I'm one of the few people in the world who don't like Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she and I, we talk nerds to each other all the time. So yes, I it was more language. Yeah. And yeah, I get yeah. that. Because <laughs> when we're writing, where, you know, I spend, I've spent 15, 20 minutes just researching a word as to, and to whether or not it was actually used during that time period. And right. I put my swear words to a minimum in my book. Um, I think I've only used them twice, once when a kid dies and then once when a character is assaulted. At those cases, vulgarity is perfectly acceptable. Um, yes. <laughs> but does that give one license to sue for libel? No. I mean, well, I... <laughs> Yeah, again, if I understand right, you can sue anyone for anything, like not that it's going to go anywhere, but I pretty much live my life on the principle of worrying that at some point I'm going to get sued for no reason. So I definitely, I definitely don't believe it rose to the level of libel. Um, and I certainly am happy that it's not, as a histor especially as a historical fiction author, that it's not going any further. Um, so again, like, even though I have a lot of sympathy for her in this situation, um, and I, and I'm trying to apply it to if I saw myself portrayed and doing something I considered very offensive, how would I react? So even if I can't relate to vulgarity as something that's offensive, um, if I, okay, I, I hope this does, I, are we allowed to get semi-political? Can yes. I, 
and I yes. give my political well, and so very much Democrats, and we've gotten flag for being uh, feminists. So go ahead, be political. <laughs> um, and I don't think this would surprise anyone that might be watching, um, who, who's a reader on my end. But if I were being, not that I'm going to be, but if I were portrayed in a movie as a diehard Trump supporter, um, I might want to, I might want to file a lawsuit for libel also. So on that <laughs> level, well, I mean, I that's can, totally understandable. Yeah. Yes. I can. <laughs> yes. So if I can kind of transfer that level of, oh my God, I can't believe someone would put that kind of stain on my reputation, um, then, then I can relate. But as a historical fiction author, of course, I, I do take liberties with uh, characters. I feel strongly that historical fiction authors have to take liberties with characters because we don't, as you said, we don't know that these figures said what the writer is saying they're saying. We certainly don't know that their motivation is what the author is um, imagining. Uh, but if we don't have some kind of forum for that, uh, for filling in the blanks that way, we're going to lose a lot of people that were excluded from the official political record. And I feel strongly about it. Now I'm going to go on my soapbox a minute more. I feel particularly strongly about it with Natalia and Alexander because I had seen that, especially in older histories, she was portrayed in a very negative light. Uh, and I really, looking at it from the perspective of, I was going to say 2018, but this would have been 2015, as you, you know, took a while. Um, when I started researching her, I, I could see, wait a minute, what was going on? Oh, oh, she was flirting with the czar. Well, why, you know, was she really in a position not to flirt with the czar? Why would that be necessarily her fault? Um, if she was dancing with other men, was that really a criminal offense or is that something that was expected of women? Uh, so it was, it almost got to the point where it was offensive to me when I saw her, her, uh, her portrayal in history books as the woman, you know, I've said this before, the classic story that I don't think any of us are really happy with, that the woman takes down the great man. Mm -hmm. um, and I just didn't, I didn't see her story that way. And honestly, and this might be a bit controversial, but even if I were granted like a time machine and I could go back in time and she talked to me and said, oh, absolutely, you know, actually I hated Alexander. I was this, 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 this. I don't even know that I would have any regrets because mm -hmm. I think it was time, uh, it was overdue to tell a different side of the story. So essentially, even if I got it wrong, I think there's value in looking at the situation from a different point of view. Having said all that, I don't think I'm wrong. I think I'm right. <laughs> I like your perspective on that too. And you see, the reason why I don't have much pity for Olivia and one of the reasons why I wasn't rooting for her was because mm -hmm. I did find, you know, anybody can sue for anything. And, you know, maybe it's the paralegal and the legal training in me where I was, mm -hmm. it was a frivolous lawsuit and it shouldn't even make it past the first round because California has so much precedence with these issues and with these situations. Um, and so, like, you brought up a good point. Well, what would I do if I was portrayed this way? Now, if I was portrayed as a Donald Trump supporter, well, I would end up happening, what I would do, especially if I was in a position where Olivia's in, where she could go ahead and she could call up an agent. She'd be like, she'd be like, you know what? I want to tell my side of the story. 
as far as I know, she hasn't put out a book with her side of the story. Her sister's put out a book. Yes. Uh, Feud was based on a book uh, where she was mentioned in. So her side of the story hasn't really fully been told. So she could have gone out and said, you know what? It's time for me to tell my side of the story. I'm going to get a ghostwriter. She doesn't even have to write the book herself. She could get a ghostwriter, write a book. I would do that. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, Yeah, so many of us would sign up and be like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, She could contact a producer Mm -hmm. and say, hey, I want to do a biopic about myself. Let's work together. I want to do this. And that could have been done. And she could have had her side of the story and clear the air with her side. She could have done that with a nice, um, well-tuned statement in the press. She didn't necessarily have to go ahead and do this lawsuit. Um, well, maybe she's doing that, but the lawsuit was just a way to trump up publicity. Oh. Create buzz for the biopic. Lawsuit. Our lawsuit. Our legal system is not for the PR of the wealth and the wealth. Agreed, but I, I, and I, have no I have no sympathy because of this. I have no sympathy and I have no chill. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, one of the things that I pulled up when, uh, before we started the show is actually, look, I was looking at legal casework because uh, I'm legal precedents because that kind of stuff interests me. Um, and I came across a case. It was Bindrum v. Mitchell. And all of a sudden it's gone off my phone because I had, there was a great quote in it, and it was actually a lawsuit, uh, the law of libel. Um, this is why we have entertainment law is because of this stuff. Um, and this is also why um, you know, we have we have libel laws, we have uh, let's see, uh, slander laws. Um, mm-hmm. We have defenses to it. These are constitutional laws. They've been around forever. But anyways, in this case, uh, somebody wrote a piece of fiction and they got sued for it. And it went to, through California court system, which apparently all of these go through California court system. And the court and the and the paper states um, it demonstrates that a work of fiction cannot be probed in the manner of a nonfiction piece, which it references here, with constructive consequences. A work of fiction is, after all, an invention, and emanation of. I'm trying to read this of imagination and artistic expression deriving from complexity of thought, emotion, sensibility, and experience that compromises and uh, comprises an author's conscious and unconscious mode of perception. Mm. That in and of itself, if I was a paralegal, that case I would have been referring to in my um, in my petitions because that right there says feud was a work of fiction. It was not presented as a documentary. I think even before. True. Yeah, even before the episode, you know, they aired an episode, this is a work of fiction, yada, 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 that legal disclaimer that they always put up. Yes. Although, sorry, um, I I don't want, I don't mean to cut you off, but can I play devil's advocate here for a small, small minute? Of course, because you have this evil smell in your face. Well, so by... Your argument is it's a complete work of fiction. It's inspired by true events, mm-hmm. but it's a work of fiction. So right. how she is being portrayed should not, it, it, you know, she really ha- doesn't have any case to complain because it's mm-hmm. fiction. Mm-hmm. Couldn't the same argument be applied to The Greatest Showman and how it portrayed, <laughs> what is her name? Debbie Lynn? 
Yeah, <laughs> no, thank you. And I know it's nice to hear you talking about it. Have you seen The Greatest Showman, Jen? Um, I have not, but I did follow uh, a bit on Facebook, I believe. I want to say Greer McAllister had um, posted something that that talked a bit about the actual life of Jenny Lind and compared it. And I'm, I apologize, I'm forgetting if Greer had written it or if she had reposted somebody else's. She reposted some, what somebody else wrote because I shared the article because I got pretty pissed off about it. Ah, that. okay, yes. Too, um, so I shared that so, too. Okay. So, so I, was, I was troubled when I saw that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I can say I don't like the depiction of Jenny. I can say that um, the writers did a real shit job in portraying Jenny. They created a villain when there was no need for there to be a villain. Um, and they really changed the historical record. But was it enough to sue? No. Because the, the best defense for libel and um, slander is the truth. And the truth was, she worked for Barnum. She did go to work for him. She worked with him. They had a contract. You know, whether or not there was a romantic relationship, historical, there wasn't. But she did go work with him. And so it was enough to actually bring her in there so that it's not legally liable. Well, I certainly, I certainly agree <sighs> with the, um, and I, I don't know what just happened. So I apologize if it was on my end. Um, but I certainly agree that that the looking at it from the perspective of this is offensive, maybe, but it does not rise to legal libel is certainly um, certainly makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it does make me a little feeling glad that um, I do. I think I'm past any kind of legal concerns with the characters I'm portraying. Um, it is possible. And I think I remember vaguely worrying about this for my first book oh you know some of the some of the Romanoff heirs are obviously going to see that I've read their story and maybe I'm like now damning myself right now by saying this but I'm going to go ahead and say it on the air or whatever um I was really I was a little worried about that like what if they read this and they recognize that um I've done some research I certainly did not I'll say it like Full disclaimer here, I did not base any of the modern day characters on anyone in real life. It was more of the situations, uh, but I do like to worry. Uh, so I think that was the, that was one case where I did think, okay, potentially is there an issue here? Uh, I had not, of course, been published at that point either. And I was so, I remember feeling such relief when I saw the legal disclaimer that St. Martin's uses that basically is like, even if this is a real person, the author is using the person, like, it's not based on anyone, but even if it is, uh, the author <laughs> is fictionalizing, and so we're good, and I, you know, I have faith that that was vetted through a pretty sophisticated legal department, um, so, so I'm definitely, like, um, definitely glad to have that resource, even though I don't think it's very likely um, that anything would happen. My second book, um, the main character, Maria Rota, she still has family. They're still around. Um, I'm working on getting in touch with said family for my research. Uh, but they could raise the stink by how I portray certain people in the book. That's completely possible. Um, was it The Cottingly Secret with... Um, oh, I love that book. Yeah. And Hi, Hazel Gaynor. <laughs> huh? Hi, Hazel Gaynor, if you're watching. <laughs> Hi, Hazel, we love your book. It's so fun we'll have to have you on the show. 
but with that book, what I loved was the daughter. I think it was either the daughter or the granddaughter of her main character in the story wrote mm-hmm. wrote something at the end of the book. So she still had, yes. family, had to deal with yes. So if a case like Olivia's went forward, if they said that, you know, this is okay to sue, then so many works of fiction, not just historical fiction, would be an issue. Um, one that keep, kept coming up uh, during the talks of this was I, Tanya. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. The mother was not portrayed well at all. Very <laughs> mommy dearest-esque. Um, and yes. because it was told from Tanya Harding's perspective. So, yeah. I mean, it would create a huge issue for any work of fiction in the future. And the courts have to be able to foresee that. Yes. And I and, and just, again, I hope, hopefully this is obvious, but I'm going to say it for the record. Like, if there's... I do think it's clear cut. Uh, This is, it's more of just a personal, like, oh, I get it. You know, Olivia was pissed. And I mean, she would never use that word, but um, like, I understand it on that level, but just for the record, anytime, I I think you err on the side of free speech. Mm -hmm. Um, Anytime there's any question. And it was so funny in this thread because there were people who were in other countries who just did not understand our concept of free speech. Um, mm-hmm. Like how can how can this person not sue? What's the idea of this free speech? Right, you can say whatever you want, whatever you want. The nobody can do it. <laughs> yeah, much. Right. I can say the sky is pink out there, and y'all can't sue me for it. So right, yeah. <laughs> and maybe we do. I mean, again, like I I do have sympathy in this case, but maybe we do take that for granted and maybe that um maybe that might be part of the core of why people oh i thought she was you know i wanted her to win i thought this was you know maybe maybe that's something for us just to think about that um rights go away you know they can so yeah and as as writers and artists we need to you know that we need to value free speech all the more because Mm -hmm. that's our form of art and we take that away what are we going to be left with like in in this, where Alexander had to go through and he had to have his works um, approved by the yes. czar. Yes, it was it, and that was sorry, but that was another. Um, didn't mean to cut you off, but that was another focus point for me when I was considering Natalia's relationship with the czar. That he, it was very, you know, there were so many instances where he was, if not ruining Alexander's career, certainly putting, putting breaks on it that would have been very difficult. So again, even beyond just the power he would have had over her life as the czar, he had that power over Alexander's career. And yes, there were, you know, the, I, I remember very specifically agonizing over when the Bronze Horseman was um, actually published and would have been available to read. Um, and not being able to figure it out because I saw it seemed to me there were two conflicting dates. Um, and then when I dug a little deeper into the research, the czar allowed the prologue, which didn't really get into any um, anything even remotely political, was allowed to be published in Pushkin's lifetime, but then the rest of it had to wait. Um, and, you know, it's considered, if not his greatest work, certainly one of his greatest works. So, yes, complete control over that. Well, I can't imagine as as a writer to have the government say, "Oh, sorry, we we we're, we're going to publish this section 
and the rest of your hard work, we're going to yeah. put that on hold. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I just want to say, I, you know, a book is good when the first thing you do when you finish it is bust out your laptop and start researching everyone. Oh, I love because it. <laughs> yeah. what, I don't today because oh. I was doing that. <laughs> one character that really fascinated me was her sister, Ekaterina. Yes. And I wanted to know what happened to her after she went to France with George. And I found very little. I found yes. that she died in 18... Year. I remember it, it was October 15th because that's my son's birthday. But I don't remember the year. But they had like four kids and then she died. That's all I got. Yes. And that is, I wish I had my research so committed to memory that I could just, you know, bounce that date out, but I can't. Um, But I do remember that very clearly that there just wasn't much of a trail afterward. There was a little more of a trail for George, which maybe isn't super surprising. because he was a man and and I believe he had some kind of political career later in life that so that may have also kind of tracked him a bit um but she was pretty much yep she had some kids and she died and this is where she's buried uh and I think that is all the more argument so I have two things to say about her first of all I think that fact is all the more argument for historical fiction as as a feminist statement because yeah, it sounded a little dramatic, but um, there's just there's just nothing on some of these women, and I just don't think their stories should be lost. I would so second part. I really love writing villains, like I and I mean not villains like ha 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 ha, you know, but just I mean not that supervillains aren't cool, but I like writing antagonists, and I saw Ekaterina as one of the antagonists in this book. But at the same time, how cool, in my opinion would it be to tell the whole story again from her point of view? Or frankly, from the other sister's point of view, because the the information that I was reading on her uh, was, oh, she must have had a crush on Pushkin because this, that, and the other. And I do kind of wonder, whenever I hear that, uh, um, oh, the woman had the crush on the man, I always wonder, like, what was it? What, I mean, was, was there a romantic element? Sure, because we're all human beings, maybe. But I can't help but wonder how much of it was, here is someone who is able to do things that I can't do. So both of the other sisters really fascinated me. Um, you know, I don't have enough time. I wish I could write like another, like a side story from Ekaterina's point of view um, and just like switch a whole scene so that we had a different take on it. Um, but I, I also have to mention, I really love that feedback about looking up characters uh, after. And I had one of my one of my first beta readers said basically the same thing that she had stopped, you know, she stopped reading the book and then right away Googled Natalia to find out what actually happened. Um, and that made me really happy on two levels because that was one where it's like, okay, I think I've got it. I think this is my next project. Um, and also it, it it clearly tells me, so So I'm gonna back up a little bit. So one of the arguments that I will hear um, from people that really want historical fiction to be as accurate as possible 
And I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive for accuracy and that that isn't part of the fun of historical fiction is that you're seeing, you know, you're, you're, you're entering a world that you don't know otherwise. But I think if we don't embellish to some extent, uh, we're just narratively in a lot of trouble. And what the argument that I will sometimes hear like at workshops and things like that is, well, uh, but people can't, they, they don't say it this way, but this is kind of how I hear it. But then people think that what really happened is this, that, and the other. And I think that we need to give everyone a little more credit because that's certainly what I do. I think, I, I think the last book I very clearly remember doing that with was The Other Einstein. I like immediately looked up uh, what, what actually happened with Einstein and his wife. Um, but I knew that I shouldn't assume that what was in the book was absolutely the truth. Uh, and I think people are very capable of making that distinction. And to piggy